Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, oh, oh and uh, Ed, just by just so you're aware, we have Father Wade and Father Cobb have been invited, so they're both going to be on the call. Yeah, we're Excellent. on the call now. Good to see you, everybody. Yeah. Good to see you. Thanks, Ed. Hey, thank you, Father Cobb. So by way of introduction, everyone, I want to introduce Mr. Matlack. Mr. Matlack um, was a was also a graduate of Bellarmine, 1986. So he's a, he's a young man um, relative to me. Um, so anyway, we're we're excited to have him today. Not only did he graduate from Bellarmine, he went on from Bellarmine to UCLA. And what is a common theme throughout our discussion today, he decided to major in history. And what's unique about that, when you look at his background, and he'll talk about it, is he was a history major, a liberal arts major, yet he's managed technical teams throughout his career. So how did he apply that skill set that he got as a history major to manage technical teams? And I think that'll be an, an important theme throughout his discussion. He's worked at a variety of companies, mainly in technical technical positions. He co-founded a company in 1993, um, and he was uh, successful in selling that company. And for the last 12 years has worked at Intuit, managing various technical teams. And he's currently on sabbatical uh, as he contemplates his next career his next career move. Um, so with that, I'll turn it over to Mr. Matlack. Thank you, Mr. Arnold. And thank you everyone for having me. It's always an honor to be able to give back to Bellarmine and spend time, especially with, with you guys, with students. Um, I got so much from my time at Bellarmine. And again, thank you to Father Cobb and Father Wade for, for being here too, but I, uh, always enjoy the opportunity to come back and, and, and spend time with all you, with all of you guys. Um, I'll try to go relatively quickly. I, I wrote out a little outline for, for the discussion, but I'm going to talk a little bit about my my background, um, some education, uh, my work history. You know, Mr. Arnold already spoke a little bit to it. And then I'm going to circle back and talk about lessons from entrepreneurship and starting my own company. And then I'm going to also talk about lessons in terms of leading technology teams um, and enterprise. And then I'll do a little re retrospective and discuss some next steps, talk about that whole sabbatical thing and what that means. Um, so just jumping straight in, my introduction is I'm a little bit of an anomaly in the technology area, honestly. Um, I was born, raised in the Bay Area. Um, I was born in Alameda, uh, but the, the now no longer existing Naval Air Station up there at the, at the, at the medical hospital there. Um, I grew up in the 70s in La Selva Beach, which is just down south of Aptos. Um, moved to uh, Saratoga in 1979, um, where I then attended uh, Redwood Junior High and then came to Bellarmine, um, graduated in 86. I'm gonna circle back to education in a second because I just finished off with my current state. I live downtown, so I'm a mile or so from campus, uh, right next to San Jose State, actually. Um, I am married. I married my uh, uh, girlfriend from high school, but I actually met her back when I was in sixth grade back in Saratoga. So as soon as I moved in, she rode her bike over to my house with her friend and, and uh, knocked on the window and 
my mom answered the door and that was it after that. So no, it wasn't that clear at the time, but I uh, definitely developed a relationship. Um, I have two uh, children. Uh, you might know Will. Will's senior this year. Um, and my daughter, Clara, she graduated from Notre Dame two years ago. She took a gap year last year, and now she's attending her first year at Colorado College in Colorado Springs. Um, lastly, my parents both live nearby. They're both down south in uh, in uh, Carmel and in Santa Cruz. I see them often. I saw them last weekend. Um, and my twin brother, who uh, also attended Bellarmine with me, lives about two miles away, and he'll be an important part of our story as we probably go into to more of it. Um, Education-wise, uh, at Bellarmine, um, I participated in uh, student government and football and soccer. Um, those were my kind of my big things. I was class president all four years um, for Bellarmine, and then uh, made varsity for football um, and really Again, like I said, very formative time, really enjoyed my time there, but understood like the tradition of men for others is a foundational aspect of what I took away um, and also kind of led me down the path that, that I took later. Um, I then graduated, went to UCLA. Um, going to UCLA was a, I chose it almost entirely because it's just a good, it was a good overall school. I had a lot of, a lot of resources and I wanted to get a little further away for no other reason, just to get away um, and try something different and live in a big city. Um, I went there as a poli sci major. That's where I wanted to go. I thought I wanted to be in foreign. Uh, I actually wanted to go into foreign relations or work in the government. Um, and that's what my initial kind of plan was. Uh, sophomore year, I changed that to history. And this is something that happens a lot. I think a lot of you guys out there when you hit college is I was just completely turned around by a professor that I had there in history. He was an amazing person teaching me uh, diplomatic uh, U.S. history. And he made me feel like I was uh, a peer of his, which was amazing at the time because I didn't think I ever felt that way, especially at a big school. Um, and so I was became very, very close to history. And I loved I loved what I learned there. Also, I'd say poli sci was a little dry and it kind of. Uh, pushed me away. The professors there unfortunately pushed me away a little, a little bit. So I kind of fell into the arms of history and uh, that was it from there. I had really no plan. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do. I just knew and my philosophy at the time was I'm just going to get a great education and we'll see what happens after that. That was not common when I was at school. There were a, a lot of the people that I went to school with, a lot of my friends were either on a solid finance, you know, finance track, going to business school. They were on a pre-med track, uh, trying to get into to medical school, um, or they were going into more of a professional engineering type of uh, pursuits. Um, there, that was probably, there were, there were those three tracks, and then there was all of us undecided guys. And so I fell into that. Didn't have really a plan. Um, so graduated from, from UCLA. Um, I spent the next two years um, just kind of traveling around, um, trying different jobs. I lived in Virginia, uh, in Roslyn, Virginia, uh, working for the Gannett Corporation, uh, working mailroom admin type of stuff, uh, nothing extraordinary. Moved back to Palo Alto, and that's where I actually got a job at a company that did information. Uh, it was an information brokerage. Um, and at the time, this is at the very kind of beginning of the commercial internet. 
um, as well as the beginning of the development of uh, certain languages like Java. And it was at that moment where my job allowed me at the at this uh, information brokerage to go out and kind of start writing programs, which I ended up having a little bit of a knack for. Um, I always had a knack for um, computers, but I never really thought of the professional options of it. I was mostly just kind of driven by um, what I was passionate for, which was mostly history or uh, politics at the time. Um, so, but I did find out that once I started to get into the computers um, and see their application, um, I kind of fell in love with that. And that was really all she wrote. I was able to convince my brother, Ralph, to move back from Michigan. Uh, we started a company in my, in my uh, one-room kind of studio bedroom in uh, Palo Alto, and we started a company called Multimedia Pathways, which we ran for about eight years. Um, it was a developing training, or on, what we call e-learning today, or online training, interactive training, uh, but we were doing it specifically for telecom companies and for semiconductors in the Valley. Um, and so all those companies have very high paid um, technical staff that are distributed all through the world. And so we would develop uh, mostly CD-ROMs at the time, but later on it went into kind of LANs and the internet um, where we would distribute that, the, that training. And so it was a very cost effective way of doing that. And we saw that opportunity. And I'll circle back a little bit more on the details of that in a second. We, uh, we actually ended that company on purpose and we started another company called Trimbus, which developed two products, uh, strategic planning products um, that we then later sold to, a, to another company. Um, and we did that on, on purpose. We were kind of in that internet bubble time, the first one. And we said, well, we want to take advantage of this and we have to have a product to sell. And so we chose that path. So I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to those. Um, in 2008, I joined Intuit. Um, I have been in probably every technical position there. Um, I ended up, uh, I, I left Intuit in August um, as a director of product development um, after being probably involved in every every product with the, with the one exception of the probably their biggest product, which is TurboTax. And so just, I know you guys probably don't know Intuit super well because it has products that are focused on either paying taxes or on small business accounting. So probably not going to resonate too much with a you know, high with a high school um, uh, kids, but I but I but in those two fields, taxes and in small business accounting, they're the the mega giants, especially in the U.S. market. Um, and like I said, I I, I did uh, I did roles in every single one of those products. Um, so that's my that's my education and my and my uh, my background and professional. I do want to spend now some time just talking about lessons learned in entrepreneurship and then talk about some of the technical leadership uh, lessons I got, go back and, and, and do some kind of wrap up, but hopefully leave some time for some questions. Um, so we got, I started Multimedia Pathways and later Trimbus with my brother. And um, one of the things that I think is a key takeaway is that when we got, when we did this, um, we did it because we were passionate about trying to do something on our own. Um, so independence was really critical to us. Um, we did not really consider money to be the real big reason. Um, one of the lessons that I learned the most in starting a company was most of the companies that are startups don't make a, a lot of money. Um, if you're lucky, you're going to break even, which is kind of where we were. We broke even with a little bit extra to maybe take a trip with the family. Um, but we 
we but the key to what we got out of that was much more the learnings that we received and so what i would say is there's four basic areas that we really um kind of tested and learned when we were running our own company um number one is that you can't be an entrepreneur unless you have creativity and have a creative mindset um, the whole intent is to create something a service a product whatever it is to solve a problem for somebody if you're not interested in creation of something it's probably not the right area to go into and that was one of the things that my brother and i were just passionate about we had ideas that we couldn't stop and we needed to go out and put them out there and that's what started it, it starts with creativity um number two opportunity you have to be able to see the need business is really about fulfilling needs or unmet needs out there and so you have to be able to meet the creativity with the opportunity in order to be able to succeed and so that was an area of learning for me is understanding how to spot need and how to really talk to people and other customers about that the third is vision and i this is i think the part that we struggled with the most probably struggle with today as much is having the vision what I, you know i think you, a lot of people have heard the term skating to the puck um, vision is about skating to the puck if the puck is your creation the opportunity comes when you're at the puck and you're trying to score really and getting to that moment where you're kind of aligning all those things is a difficult task um, and i think that that's where a lot of um, startups will fail they'll get to they'll get great ideas They'll see opportunity, but getting to the right execution is really difficult. Um, and the last piece, again, which I think is a critical theme we're going to talk about more is adaptation. How do you learn? Um, you have to be willing to fail in this field if you're going to learn. And startups and product and creative process is about failing, learning to fail, and then, and then starting it over again and adapting. Um, those are the pieces I think I learned the most um from from taking from uh from running my own company starting my own company um i also would i the other big piece that i really came away with was that i really wanted to work with my brother i love working with my brother uh he's somebody i, I love spending time with and it it makes you realize the other part of work and career is people um you need to choose people always um People are going to teach you. They're going to mentor you. They're going to be your greatest source of joy and friendship. And just realize that after your whole career is over, you're going to remember the people more. So you might think about names and brands because they're kind of floating out there. But ultimately, I would choose people. And when you can do that, I think you're going to go right. And I have lots of stories I could tell, but probably not today, regarding kind of some stories around um how people that have worked for me saw people as their most important asset when they when they come join a company or a team. Um, switching gears, and I'm trying to hurry up because I know we're getting, I know we're about 15 minutes in, um, is talking a little bit about lessons from technical leadership um, and running technical teams. So, like I said, when I joined Intuit in 2008, I First join as the technology leader, um, engineering leader for QuickBooks Online, which at the time was a small, a smaller subgroup relative to the big desktop group. And you guys probably don't don't have this history, but just it wasn't that long ago that desktop software ruled, and you had an internet software, mobile technology 
was this like crazy idea. Well, I joined into it specifically to drive their online development of their main small small business software because that was my experience is in online online work. Um, the biggest lesson I learned right then out of the gate was I joined specifically to do something and within nine months, the company reorganized and I got moved to a different department. And I could have chosen at that time to say, oh, this is horrible. Or I could choose to learn and try to drive, you know, get some experience from it. I chose the latter. Um, I joined a data engineering team and led a data engineering team, even though I had no experience in data engineering. Um, and we built a lot of things for the first time there, which is always a fun thing is building things for the first time. Um, but I ran that. I was able to build up a lot of relationships. And then I was able to move into a different role, which actually was a marketing and product management role, not an engineering role, to run social engagement for the small business communities. And that was a blast. I loved it. Um, it taught me more than anything how to fall in love with the customer, how to really get an empathy for what they were going through and spend time out in the field with people and really learn how to build products and software products that matter to a customer. I learned that in just the two years I spent in that role. And then that changed because we reorged again and I got moved to a different group. And this time I rejoined engineering for good. I spent the last seven and a half years running um, two, multiple products, mostly Mint, as well as uh, some of the Quicken online pieces and mostly personal finance related software. Um, and in that, I spent mo most of the time I tuned my uh, understanding of how to run production process at scale, like really running for millions and millions of users and learning how to, to kind of handle stress, um, security breaches, um, downtime, those kind of things within broad and big teams. Um, my two big lessons I would teach you, I would, I would share with you guys again, as for new engineers coming in, um, our biggest, biggest learning we wanted to teach them was that you have to learn how to fail and fail well. Um, we had a metric that we used, um, which was called time to prod, um, which meant that as an engineer came on board our team, we would measure how long it took for them to write code that we could push to production. And that was our key measurement. Now. A lot of them would be very scared. Honestly, most kids coming out of college have never really been involved in that kind of situation before. And we forced them through that because they wanted to let them know that it was okay if they failed. We had systems in place and we have those systems in place to manage failure. And the point of failure is to learn the lessons that can really best be learned in an actual real environment, right? So. From a business perspective, I had a bunch of systems for resiliency that knew that I couldn't ruin my, my, my application. But at the same time, I needed people that were willing to go out and try because the edges of where you learn and how you learn is in that failure point. And not just failing, but learning how to deal with the emotions of failure and understanding how to bounce back from it and be able to then teach the next guy how to do it. And so we had that was that's a that was a critical aspect of learning and teaching. In addition to that, um, the other point I would tell you is that in the world today, everyone needs to know how to lead, and you lead in your own way. You lean in your you you lead in your own kind of style, but 
we work in small teams. We work in a distributed environment. We don't have a command control structure. I saw myself much more as a, a nurturer, um, as somebody who would help people rather than command people. And in order to do that, everybody on the team needs to be able to lead. They need to take a demo or a code review or a design review or some kind of presentation to somebody, uh, you know, like a vice president and be able to do that. And and that's another big takeaway. So my my real my my recommendation to you is always take opportunities to lead. Always choose to go in and try to to, to lead if you can. Um, I know we're getting close to my end of my time because I know we want a Q&A. Sorry, Mr. Arnold. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. You're you're right on. You're right on schedule. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of macro lessons from my retrospective um, and my time at Bellarmine. Um, man for others is something that will serve you um, in many ways in your life. Um, if you think, um, and I'm going to give you two examples. Number one, is just in in terms of when you go out into the world, um, if you want doors to open up for you, the, the best way to do it is to open the doors for other people, right? Um, by doing that, that reciprocation is an amazing, amazing, powerful thing. Um, think about it. I, I, it actually translates into product design in, in my world. Um, when I think of product design, when we would build new interfaces for, for customers, you never, you always want a customer to try to do something on an application, like in a mobile application, you want them to be able to, you know, they call click to critical or click to a particular spot. Um, but you never ask them to do that until you provided value to them. And so even in the world of software design or product design, it translates directly into how you think about you do your work. And so whether it's in building up relationships with people or doing actual product development, being a man for others and thinking about others first is a really critical, critical value that, that I've taken forward and used throughout my entire life. Um, the second big takeaway is really just challenge the status quo. Um, Bellarmine challenged me to think critically and to challenge and become my own thinker about, about my faith, about everything that I did in my in my world. And it made me an individual that allowed myself to kind of then take chances. I went into liberal arts and, and then I went into engineering because not because it was easy path, but because that was my path. That was the path I chose to do. And I can do that because I had the confidence and the kind of critical capabilities that I got at Bellarmine and then later at UCLA to be able to go off and execute that. Right. And so those are things that I really took away from 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 that. Um, and then again, really going back to the idea of, of learning how to fail. Um, I will tell you, I'm a little bit slanted in this way, but I mean, one of the things from playing football, um, for example, is, you know, when you're playing a game, when you're playing a game like football, you're going to lose. <laughs> There's going to be times when you lose or when you get beat. And so that game, and it can, and again, mine was football, but this can translate to just about anything. You know, learning how to lose in the game of football or learning how to fall down and get up after you got beat by someone taught me character, humility, the ability to kind of get up and try again that I later used as energy to drive me, right? And so my, my advice to you is find something that's really hard and that you're not necessarily guaranteed to succeed at. 
find something to go after. That's an edge. That's your edge. Go after the edge. Purposefully go off and fail. Learn how to fail gracefully. It will serve you multitudes of goodness later on. Okay. Um, my last piece, I was just going to say next steps for me. Um, uh, Mr. Arnold called it a sabbatical. I'm actually calling it a, a, my gap year. Um, taking a gap year for uh, for professional things. Um, and I really want to revisit those big three themes. The, the three themes in my life, which is how can I give to people? How can I challenge the status quo? And how can I create a new edge in my life? It goes on and on. I think if you think about it from that perspective, all the way through your career, think of like where your end game is, you know, and mine is never really going to end. It might be that the, my career into it ended, but something else is going to go on after that. Um, I think that's all I really had to kind of go on. I know we're about Five minutes from noon, uh, Pat. So I wanted to leave some time for for Q and A. But is there anything I missed there? No, that was great. That was great. Uh, you know, and I think again, it just tells a great story from Bellarmine to where we're at today. Uh, Samarth and Ashok, why don't we open it up for questions? Yeah, let's do that. So we have a few guys uh, sent us some questions during the presentation. But first of all, I just wanted to thank you again, you know, for really taking the time out of your day to come. And I also want to thank, thank the guys for coming out um, and really uh, listening to this. Um, so our first question is, how difficult uh, was it for you to switch tracks from history to computers? And what steps have to take to get to that point of being proficient in working with technology? Yeah, it's a long it was a long process. And um, I would call it a. Um, something that I is more of a trial and error type of approach, and a lot of learning uh, in in software is trial and error. A lot of a lot of trial and error again gets back to that failure position. Um, I spent the first two years mostly just hacking away at databases and front ends um, without a lot of thought about how to build or architect systems. Um, and so through a lot of hacking and a lot of just just late night just learning, um, I was able to get be, become pretty good at those two areas. Um, I don't think I ever, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think I ever really uh, um, nailed down uh, the best uh, as an algorithm builder, uh, with particularly in kind of like C++ and those languages, but, um, but I didn't have to. Like I, I kind of went from database and JavaScript and front, like front end development into broader architecture um, and then kind of a lot more in the data engineering side. So those pieces, I, I just had a, an easy way of adapting in my head. Algorithm building was always tough for me, and I kind of I was able to, to pass that on to somebody else that was smarter than me to do. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, again, a lot, you'll find out a lot too that, you know, building, technical building things is a very, very human endeavor. Um, your relationship, one of the things you'll find as you move into the, the professional world is that you never just do things on your own. You're doing it with a lot of people. And your ability to communicate and, and to write critically um, translates extremely well. And so if you can communicate and understand the nature of problems, even if you can't do that one specific coding problem, you know, that's not necessarily going to be a, a killer for you. So I was able to kind of get around some of the bigger problems because I was able to use some of my bigger 
people skills and communication skills to kind of manage those. Uh, I just wanted to echo what Shamar said. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to come talk to us today. It was really, it was really awesome. Uh, so I have another question here from a student, and that's um, you talked a lot about how your uh, professor at UCLA really shaped you to change your major. Um, so I was just wondering, how do you really capitalize on an opportunity when you get close to a teacher or a professor to better influence your professional experience? Yeah, so that was my, his name was Robert Dalek, and he's this very super well known author on he's like covered the Johnson presidency. He's a very well written guy. Um, at UCLA is a little tough because you're, I mean, most classes, even the small classes are 100 people, you know, maybe 75. Um, you do end up spending a lot more time with with TAs. But for him, um, I did, I went to his office hours. Um, I wouldn't say that we we were able to grow close um, because it's just sheerly his, his workload and his schedule. Um, but I was able to, you know, get feedback from him on like my, my papers um, that we wrote and I spent a couple of, of sessions with him. Um, when you are, a, a, a lot of it's gonna depend on the institution you go to. Smaller institutions are gonna be very different. Like you're gonna be able to develop relationships with, with teachers um, much more closely. On the flip side, schools like uh, UCLA or Michigan or other big schools have an amazing amount of resources that they can provide. And so you can take so many different classes and go in so many different directions but you just don't develop necessarily the closest relationships with the professors themselves as much as you get with the, you know, with maybe the um, the PhD students that are helping to teach the class, which was really great for me. Um, but again, a lot of it was the way people speak to you. I mean, getting that feeling of connectedness when somebody says, you're in this class because you're a historian, you know, it's not because you're a student and you're not just taking this lecture. It's because we're all here because we're historians and we're going to go through this class together and share all the burden together. And it's really that kind of attitude that really helped to turn me from something where I was just kind of watching to where I was engaged. And so I think it's a great lesson in communication that teachers and professors should really be thinking of in terms of how to engage with students. Samarth, so, you're on mute. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so just another question building off of kind of classes and your education. Uh, what class or type of classes at Bellarmine do you consider the most impactful uh, for your career or just your overall professional development? Well, you know, the class classes are so much different <laughs> than when, when I was in school. I hate to say it, but we didn't really have AP classes. We had some honors classes. Um, I think that the biggest ones for me, I'll be honest with you, in my English classes um, that I took were the most, all of them, whether it was British Lit or Science Fiction. Um, and the reason why, it, well, and also I would say debate was was really influential to me, um, was the ability to, to write. When I got to college, I was way ahead of a lot of the other students at UCLA because of my writing capabilities. Um, and so what that allowed me to do was to really, um, you know, allow it allowed me to be able to compete well um, in all those in, in the social sciences for sure, but also in all the other, you know, other classes. And it gave me a lot of confidence. It made me feel like I could do it here. Right.
mostly my I'd say my English classes were uh, were great. It's also because I was really horrible at French. I can say that that probably didn't influence any of my success later on. Um, <laughs> my wife will tell me that too. So, <laughs> but yeah, I'd say English was important. I probably my biggest regret was not taking honors uh, U.S. history. I took French four instead of because there was a, a conflict, and I chose French four so I could complete the the fourth year. And I look that I wish I'd done. I wish I'd flipped it and done uh, and done uh, um, honors history at the time. But you know, it's all right. Um, so it seems like it seems like you spent a lot of time working with your brother, starting I guess two companies. So, what did you think were like the biggest difficulties you you foresee when working with a partner, especially when you know very well? And how can like we learn from those experiences to better work as like a group member? Yeah, um, you really have to separate. Number one, you have to really know the. You have to get to know the person well and know where they're, what the boundaries are. Um, you can't, um, you can't keep pushing on uh, the button of people um, because you're angry or because you're jealous or you have a problem, um, and and then they cause them to kind of have a more of an irreparable, um, you know, break with you. You really need to to think about how again it gets back to how do you feel like you can support them. I mean, with my brother. Um, we've always been very supportive of each other um, and always been there to help each other through different times within our growing up. And so it was pretty easy. Like as long, if you have somebody that you know through history is somebody who's going to support you no matter what, and you do the same, that kind of leads you down the path. Support them first, and then you're going to get things back. If, if, if you have, and, and again, I was lucky. I know that, and I, I'm not using this as a pillar for what everyone should do going to, into into business with your with your sibling. Um, but I, for me, that was the right thing, and for me, it was a super uh, enjoyable time. Like if I wanted to spend time not just working, but working in a way that I really liked. Um, but knowing that he was there to kind of support me, and I was supporting him, helped to set the right standards. I'll tell you a story when we were, I mean, it was not easy for some of the people that work for us to, to know because like my brother and I, we would love each other, but we would yell and fight all the time. And like, there was a time where we were, we both had uh, cubes on either side of like eight different people. And we had this, we had times where we would just be yelling back and forth at each other from across the building to the point where you know, people that were working for us were like, okay, are they going to hit each other? Or are they going to, what's going to happen? And then like literally five minutes later, we'd be walking out and having lunch together and everything was fine. Um, so we knew where our boundaries were, but um, we pushed them a lot, uh, which is good too, but we never pushed them too far. I don't know if that, hopefully that answered that question, but it's a, it's a hard one to answer. <laughs> so Ed, uh, as we come to the end here, I think one of the questions um, that I wanted to hopefully push out to the rest of the group with respect to your business career, career is talk about the difference between a startup environment culturally versus working for a more mature company like Intuit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, similarities and differences and what you prefer. Yeah. 
Well, they're very different in a lot of ways. A lot of companies will say they have a startup culture, and what they're what they're right what they're trying to say is that they're kind of informal. Um, they you know they 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 do lots of things like they'll have you know beer uh, in the middle of the day, or they'll have all these perks. Um, there there'll be a lot more kind of informal gatherings, um, less structure, less meetings. Um, I think that the big difference in terms of what you know i would say is for big companies one of the difficult things for big companies is that they have a lot of communication to manage and they manage that mostly through a lot of meeting infrastructure um you spend a lot of time in status meetings or in checkup meetings or in planning sessions um and so the, the bigger the company they tend to get a bit more kind of heavy in that area um, startups are going to remove a lot of that from you, but at the same time, uh, one of the great things about you know about a big company, like I'd say specifically about working for an Intuit or a Google, is that you have a lot of consistency around the message about what you're after. What are you guys doing? Like, what is what is the purpose behind our, our you know our being here? Um, startups can be a lot more hit or miss around that. Like, you might not have consistency. You might feel like you're 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 getting a lot of ch a lot of change. Um, occurring and, and maintaining consistency over mission um, can be difficult. Um, from my perspective in my startup, um, it was the, the idea that I could control my destiny to a degree um, was paramount at, for a time. Um, but it had limitations. I didn't get the learning from senior people. I was the top dog, so I wasn't learning a lot from other senior people. Um, and so moving to Intuit for me was mostly about learning. I wanted to see how things were done at a very high level, um, see how companies were organized um, at that level, but also to see how engineering was done. And I learned a lot. Um, and that was really the purpose behind it. Um, so I think that that's another kind of key aspect. I mean, remember that um, going and again, getting back to the people part, Picking the people is critical because that's where you're going to learn. I mean, you're going to you're going to learn by failure, but the people that are going to help you figure that out are your mentors, are the people that are experienced in these areas. They'll point things out to you. Um, I have a really horrible story about one time we did a, uh, you know, again, being a manager and being a leader also requires tough decisions. And so I was a part of, I think, maybe a half a dozen different um, layoffs of different types where I had to let people go. Um, and some of them was in my control. Most of it wasn't in my control. Um, but one of the decisions that we made at one point was we actually laid off four staff mobile engineers um, because they were all remotely located. There was a policy that came out that said all remote people were going to let go. But there were four staff engineers. And so I had a team of about 20 mobile engineers, and we let our four staff engineers go. Within three months, I had lost everyone but one person on that team. And it was a huge lesson. Those people look to those staff engineers for learning, for mentoring. And then they're gone. They're like, what's the point? They, they weren't loyal to me or the company. They wanted to have the learnings, right? And yeah. so, again, people are critical to your kind of development uh, for a career. Look for people that you want to go work for. Um, when I did a job search the last time, like maybe – when I, before I went into it, the thing I did was I actually went on 
to all of the different um, co corporate sites and looked at the board of directors and their mission statements. When I was looking for startups, I looked at all the venture companies that were that were investing in these com these companies. I looked to see what their values were, what they did, what you know, what I could learn from them. It was really about the people that I was trying to find, not the company, right? And so I think it's a really good lesson to think about: is you can go out and um, you know see all these really fancy brands, but really look for the people behind it. I think is critical to to, to making a career decision. Excellent. Well, Samarth and, and Ashok, I think that that provides a nice conclusion to today's presentation. Yeah. Do you guys have anything else to, to offer or to conclude with? I don't really. Um, I think, you know, Mr. Matlack, you know, you hit, you covered all bases really. And, uh, provide a lot of great information for the guys. Ashok, I, I know you might have something to say. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time and coming. It was really awesome hearing you talk about not only in your presentation, but also in the Q&A session. I think it was really helpful. And uh, thank you to all the Bells who attended. Um, just remember to fill out that attendance sheet that Samarth put in there. And also thank you to Father Cobb and Father Wade for, uh, for <clears throat> joining us. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank you for the invite. And yeah. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Father Wade. Thanks Good luck. Go Bells as ever, OK? Go Bells. Okay. That's right. That's right. Thanks, Pat. All right, guys. Uh, again, a huge thank you to Mr. Matlack for donating his time and for his great, great wisdom today. Um, and, and one final thing I didn't realize his professor was Robert Dalek. Uh, his book on JFK, Unfinished Life, is excellent. So a little plug for that. Father Cobb might be part of your uh, next <laughs> book. Okay. Book selection. Okay. Thank you. Good. Okay. Good. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and go bells. Okay. Go bells. Bye, guys. Go bells. Thank you, man. Yep.